iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? You've created these platforms, and now they are being misused. And you have to be the ones to do something about it. Or we will. Hello. And welcome back to another edition of Danny in the Valley. It's my last uh, from London. I've been here for a couple weeks working, and I'm about to head back to the West Coast. But before I do, I wanted to do one more episode from these shores. Um, And we have a great guest this week. Baroness Biban Kidron is here. That's two lords in three weeks. It's a great show because Kidron is, in her other life, she's a film director, but um, in the House of Lords, she has authored uh, an amendment to the Child Protection Bill that, if approved, would codify all kinds of new rules around children and the internet. Basically, a whole host of new protections around how kids are treated by the likes of Facebook, Twitter, Google, etc. All really just how the, how things work online. So it would require higher default privacy settings. It wouldn't allow GPS um, geolocation services. Um, there'd be a whole raft of new things around kids and the internet. And this is interesting for a couple reasons. One, obviously, is the very obvious question around children on the internet. And the other is, um, according to Kidron, she reckons that this is the beginning of kind of a, a serious movement that it would kind of really open the floodgates across Europe and really around the world um, when it comes to regulating the internet, both for adults and children. And we've already seen bits of this at the beginning of that uh, this clip you just heard, Diane Feinstein, a senator from California. That was from the hearings in Congress a couple weeks ago on Facebook, Google, and Twitter, and how they allowed Russia to meddle in our elections over their platforms. Um, so anyhow, it's a, it's a fascinating conversation, and few speak as forcibly uh, or as eloquently as uh, the Baroness. So without further ado, I will turn you over to her. So the amendment I'm putting forward is going to change the status of children in relation to the internet or to the digital environment as a whole. How it will change is that it makes their consent, anyone seeking a child's consent or the consent of an adult on behalf of a child, they have to also provide age-appropriate design. So instead of saying, tick the box and you're adult, it says, tick the box, we know you're a child, we're going to treat you differently according to your needs and privileges as a child. And so you tick the box and the website transforms before your eyes? What it will do is change in subtle ways. So, for example, if you're a child, your privacy settings default will automatically go high. If you're a child, then your GPS location will not be able to be shared. 
If you're a child, then your data can only be used for a very purpose that you've signed up to that account for. If you're a child, they have to say in language that you could reasonably be expected to understand what the deal is of that website. So a 12-year-old isn't asked to be looking at 50 pages of T's and C's from Apple, for example. Indeed, and actually we did a piece of work a little earlier with uh, a law firm, Shillings, and they took the Instagram T's and C's and took 5,000 words and put them into the language a nine-year-old could reasonably understand, and it goes... We own your pictures, we may share information, your school, your age, your birthday, even in private messaging. This is what we're going to take, everything, we own it and we share it. And I think that that is sort of indicative of, you know, this idea of do we have culturally, do we have in business, do we have in regulation and legislation the best interests of the child at heart? Or are we starting from the status quo of... Yeah, these are big, rapacious companies that want a lot of data to make a lot of money. And if kids are the collateral damage of that activity, so be it. I say, no, children are not the collateral damage of a few companies that really want to make a big profit margin. That the price of doing business, especially when nearly a third of all users, which is nearly a billion users, are under 18. I mean, we have to, we have to go again. And I think it's important for me to say to you why I'm here, you know, why I'm here fighting this battle is that I, I made a film, I have a history as a filmmaker, and I made a film about kids and the internet, you know, several years ago now. And I had the privilege of interviewing a lot of people who were in some way responsible for the invention of what the World Wide Web, as we called it then, uh, rather than the whole digital environment, but, but, the, but the instigators, the founders. And again and again, they would say these two things. One was that we have this sort of vision of no gatekeepers, we have a vision that this will be a democratizing force, and that all users will be equal. And it sounds so good, you know, it sounds like a warm bath when you think about it like that, right? And then... I got to thinking a little bit harder. And I thought, hang on a minute, these guys have made a category error. And the category error they have made is that if all users are to be treated equally, then de facto, a kid is treated as if they are an adult. And it, it kind of like hit me like a bruise. It was, it, it was such a shocking thought. It was a... You know, my father used to call it um, pain of consciousness. Once you've had a thought, you cannot unthink it. Once you've seen something, even if it's an idea, you can't unsee it. And I thought, hang on a minute, this is not right. I need to point this out. Kids are not adults, so we need a different environment for kids online because there is no on-off. There's only a whole environment of on-off life. Now, I think there is a second part to that, which is almost more important for the general listener, which is they also, as part of this utopian vision, had the idea of a network of networks, of small participants, of, you know, the no gatekeepers. But actually, you know, in the gold rush, we have seen a ferocious IP regime, a ferocious blocking and, and stopping and gatekeepering. And now we have gatekeepers. 
who are less transparent, who are more opaque, who have no accountability as the total environment of our public space. And I think that that is it's probably the primary problem for the world. But from my particular perspective, I'm saying, hang on a minute, you've got this entirely commercially driven environment, unaccountable and locked down in which our children are playing. So if you add A Fe- and B, Feasting on the kids. You're feasting on the kids. I mean, they're clickbait. I'm making a speech on Friday, and and I was so furious at the point at which they they asked me um, what my title was, and I just got off the phone to one of the big five, and I was in a fury, and I went, the title of my speech is, Are Our Kids More Than Clickbait in the 21st Century? Now, I have an excellent PA, and she cut out one word. But my title remains the same. And my answer, which is a bit of a spoiler, I guess, no, children are being used as clickbait. And that's not okay because we have a cultural understanding of childhood. So <laughs> so one of the aspects of this amendment is this idea that minimum age to create an account online would be 13. Is that right? Yeah. Now, that's something we're banked into. The GDPR, you know, the the legislation that we're inheriting from Europe, as it were, the European Which comes into force in about six months. It comes into force in six months, and it dictates that you have to have consent. Now, if you ask me, the whole idea of consent in the digital environment is a very old-fashioned idea. And I think that we should look, you know, towards a world in which each individual user actually owns their data and gives access to themselves on specific, you know, basis so that it actually reflects my age, my tolerances, my values, and those those people I want to interact with, and there will be some value in that for them and some value in that for me. You know, I think we're going to go into that world eventually. But in the meantime, we have this legislation coming in that says, okay, a child is going to be determined either at 13, 14, 15, or 16. Now, the default setting of the European legislation was 16. And it was the UK who fought to make it a derogated matter, i.e. a matter that nation states decide upon individually. And you've got to ask why. And then you look at the government advice, and the why is, because that is the age at which most social media sites and services in America determine that they can have a user. And then you ask yourself, why? And you go, oh, because copper, which was brought in as American legislation in 2000, based on research from 1998, said 13 was a good age. Copper. Copper. It is the legislation in America that determines that the services can't go below 13. How has the digital environment changed since 1998? It's unrecognizable. Thank you. And what's more, the big change for children specifically is 2012. And what happened in 2012 was that the smartphone hit a price point at which adults were prepared to put it in the hands of a child. Specifically, what is a problem is the portability of devices. How can anybody reasonably provide a context for a child if actually they've got Apollo 11 in their back pocket? 
It's, it's just right. a non-starter. So I think that to sit on that legislation is really to just be lobbied by tech companies. Right. And I think the other thing that is worth pointing out yeah, before I actually say something rather radical about age, which is the other thing to point out is, well, they say you can't sign up till you're 13, but what efforts do they make to establish whether you are or are not 13? Well, this gets to my next question, which was how practical is this? Yeah. Is there a way to remake it in a practical way where you, the internet is different for kids? Let's first of all acknowledge that we are talking about a technology that not only has the capacity but is actually based on a technical understanding of who the user is and tell me whether the fact that they know you like red nikes bought for a price point of x in this location and are probably tired right now because you're jet lagged if they know all that about you you tell me why they can't know whether you're 13 or under question if you can have geolocation on or off you can switch it off if that kid is a child, right? I think the truth of the matter is, it absolutely, they should be invited in to the world on the same basis as they're invited in to other parts of, of the analog world. Yeah. And just practically speaking, that would, I would imagine would require some kind of login, personal login to get into the internet. It would be unlawful not to provide age-appropriate design. Would you think that the question of smart age verification might go higher up in the in-tray of R&D in the tech companies. I mean, we are so close to it. At the moment, the problem about ID is that it's either commercially driven and it does all the things that are not great about the internet, like spread data and share and so on, and the people who are maybe in the third sector non-commercial space haven't got the resources to right. really push it but if it became a requirement it's it's a matter of weeks not not years so i think that one has to be really careful to kind of go hang on a minute we keep on starting from the point at which we talk about the status quo and how we back out and i'm saying no the status quo is actually quite different the status quo is that children are allowed in culture, in regulation, in law, by international agreement, to have a childhood. And we have actually codified what that means in terms of their privacy and not exploiting them commercially and offline. safety offline. Right. And that online is simply another place that children inhabit. So the status quo that we have to be looking at in the world of digital childhood is not digital, it's childhood. childhood. Yeah. Yeah? And, and in that, it's very relaxing because guess what? We're all experts. Yeah? We know what kids need. It is established. We do have codes of both development and we have codes of protection and privilege. And if we take those 
and put them into the digital space and say, hey, okay, now you guys have to support that. And I, and I must make clear, I'm not just talking about the big tech companies, although they obviously loom large because that's where kids are. But I actually mean everything, that the, the, the data schools collect on mm. them, the government departments, um, um, the shopping sites, you know, that everybody has to just kind of step back and go, oh, shit, a third of all people online are under 18 we better make sure that we've got a space a changing space a responsive space for childhood it's an interesting idea because being based in san francisco and talking to some of these companies week in week out Mm. i was at a an event for google recently Mm. where they introduced a new home speaker and at this event, they said one of the new th- features is this ability to recognize up to six different voices and effectively build a profile around each voice so that if a child asks, you know, say, call mom, it calls the mother. And if the mother says call mom, it calls the grandmother. There's no kind of caution or circumspection around the fact that they're basically saying we, what we want to do is build a profile of your child from as early as they can start talking. Right now, we're 27 years in or whatever we are, and it is possibly time to say a couple of things. And one of them is, if these companies have more power, more funds, and more reach than nation states, do they have societal responsibilities that are proportionate to those factors? Or is it inappropriate for them to have the power, the reach, the money that they have without engaging with the communities and feeding back into the communities of users that they serve? I'm actually pretty open about which way around we do it. But I do think we are at a point, unless we actually really want to give a few white, privileged men, young, largely, that demographic, the total value system of our world. It's a catastrophe that we have a technology that has in its power to remedy some of the greatest ills of the world. And we have a corporate culture so set against upholding its societal responsibilities. Are you a voice in the woods? You know, having spent quite a few years being a bit of a voice in the woods, I would say that I'm a choir in the woods now. (laughs) So you're a choir, but you might still be in the woods. (laughs) No. What I mean is we're going to burst out of the woods soon. I mean, I think you've already made the point. First of all, the GDPR is, you know, albeit not as robust and all-encompassing and and articulated as it could have been. It is a big pushback, and it will change things globally. They just roll it around the world rather than seeing it as a European thing, because that's easier. I think that we are beginning to see a conversation around other things in this space, whether it's uh, news, voting, trolling. I think we're seeing that it is actually intolerable to a lot of people. Uh, What I think is threefold. One is certainly here 
in the UK and certainly more generally in Europe and I would say by virtue of my inbox increasingly in America people are beginning to understand what I'm talking about which is design a digital environment for children do not cut them off do not stalk your own children do not rely on filters and do not rely on self-regulation let's have a positive creative technological response to children on the internet and I think that that is a very very um, reasonable and understood way forward I also think that there are some good guys now coming up who are saying hang on a minute if the big guys care more about profit than our kids we're going to move into that demographic and I cannot tell you how many people who are building things for children and building things for adults around sort of a clear set of privacy rules and and sort of societal rules that get in touch with me my lone voice in the word and say look this is what we're doing and some of them are not startups anymore some of them are mid-size and some of the big big players in the world are really interested and some of the biggest players in the world who are not in that very very small group of uber players yeah are also calling. So I think there is an understanding that there is a business opportunity, there's a competitive mm. advantage in creating a spaces and places and technology that actually has a certain sort of, you know, moral compass within as standard. I think it's going to be a tipping point and we will get there much quicker than other people think. Yeah. I don't know if that's the optimism of the advocate. I actually think they have been their own worst enemy. There was such a moment where they could go, hey, we've won the race, we're over the line, now we want to be different. And instead of giving their personal fortunes away to fix malaria, they should have used their personal fortunes to underwrite their own services for the good of humanity. And that will turn out to have been, you know, another category error by that community. Mm. How have your interactions been with the big guys? I mean, because I imagine you've sat down with Facebook, Google, Twitter, etc., and said, you guys have to change. I mean, is it kind of blank face, or is it just obstruction? Is it cooperative? I have to say, I obviously, I work in Europe, so I haven't seen the big guys. It has to be noted, yeah? Uh, I do know them all here, and I have sat down with them in different contexts, yeah? And I think there are three worrying things. When I first came on the scene, they were patronizing. Uh, You're talking about the, 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 the kind of the executives of the big guys over here. Yeah. 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 And when yeah. I say patronizing, it's like I don't mean that I have no personal uh, vanity in this particular space. You know, what I mean is they played it like big guys. Second of all, they keep on pointing to all the things they do. But all the things they do underwrite their own status quo. So they make, you know, Facebook digital leaders, yeah? Whole classrooms of kids who can be very good at using Facebook, you know? I mean, they really don't grasp it, yeah? And they use their money very crudely in a way to get headlines and to look like they're cozying up to government and, and, and it's not very pretty, yeah? And then if you get them off record, 
they say things like, you know, we know it's coming, but we got to walk back slowly, or it's not us, we're sympathetic, but it's those guys in Silicon Valley, they don't get it, they don't get the children thing. Or they say, oh, well, you know, maybe we could have another code in the future. Or they say, and this is the thing that probably gets me angry and why you have someone sitting in front of you who is so angry, is they go, oh, well, but if we give a little bit to the kids and we give a little bit to Macron on tax and we give a little bit over here to the government on child abuse images or some other great harm, you know, radicalization, then where would we be? And I kind of go, well, we'd be in a better place, right? And I think the point is not to see it like death by a, a thousand cuts, which is actually a quote from someone in those companies, death by a thousand cuts. They needed to, and they should have, and to be honest, they still could, but they don't have very long, step forward with a clean house. And I would say the other thing, which I think that I hope someone will eventually get them on is they operate like a cartel. In this area, they sit together. So if you speak to Facebook, you're speaking to Google, you're speaking to Twitter, you're speaking to Snap. They do not give in on one platform without consulting the other platform. Now you can call that cooperation or you can call it a cartel. It just depends on the lens through which you see it. It does, but there are definitions and in the end, Maybe it was me in the woods, but it's me, the kids, and the choir in the woods. And I actually keep on feeling uh, that we're getting to quite a tipping point because the refusal to deal with it by industry and the timidity of government in the face of industry is quite a toxic mix because it is actually against the lived experience of children, parents, teachers, and those of us who have taken this on. And I think they have to respond ultimately to that lived experience. Kids are not okay in the digital environment as it is currently designed right. for adults. The train is now approaching junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Do you think we will look back at this, say, just snapshot moment in time, the way things are now? Do you think we'll look back in 20 years, let's say, 
the way we look at smoking now, when it used to have adverts where doctors would recommend a certain type of cigarette, you know, in television adverts and say, oh, this is great, this, you know, camels taste the best, etc. Mm. That it was just the done thing. And now we look back at it and be like, how could anybody do that knowingly when it's such a massive public health issue and it's so clear now? But back then it was just kind of like, it's the way it is. I think it'll be sooner than 20 years. And I think we'll look back at it with shame that we didn't act quicker. And I think that we will look at possibly big tobacco. I also think we'll look at the obesity epidemic. I think that we need to have rules of engagement around kids that will benefit all kids. And I think that you have to understand that kids are not digital natives. Actually, all the research shows they're at the lowest rung of digital opportunity because they spend the most time in the most highly commercialized places and no least critical understanding yeah. of it. So they're absolutely, again and again, the research shows they're not digital, they're just quick with their thumbs. But using a technology does not mean you have any agency or, 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 or knowledge or power over that technology. And I think it's just maybe for those people who don't who still don't understand this amount of minutes into this podcast they have to just think about being new thinking about being new to this world going on and making good and valid choices for yourself and you kind of go hang on a minute those choices are not available a and b how can i as a six seven eight nine ten twelve year old make good and valid choices I'm a kid. I'm not supposed to be able to make good and valid choices. That's not where I am in my development milestones. I am going from my journey to infancy to adulthood, and I'm only like, you know, a third or two thirds of the way through. I'm not supposed to have this critical understanding. The world's supposed to look after me while I develop it. And this is not about not being risky. This is not actually even about content particularly. It's actually about the orchestrated technology that is treating a child like a data center instead of like a child. Yeah, because I feel like even adults don't fully understand the bargain they're entering, especially if you think about the fact that this is the first generation of children that kind of, if you're 10 years old or older, you know, the iPhone is 10 years old. Yeah first generation to actually grow up with this yeah. thing, yeah. this dominant device in your life and all of that that brings. Yeah. Um, and there's these studies coming out now mm. around what that is doing socially. I have to say something, which is, I, you know, I can't quote the person because I promised I never would, but a child protection expert that works in Silicon Valley, sort of my personal deep throat, <laughs> yeah. said, you know, in the valley, we call this the lost generation. We know that regulation and legislation will come. But there's a lot of money to be made before then. That's, uh, that was dark. That's right? very dark. Okay? But here's the funny thing. That when I was a very young woman, I just left film school, and I needed a gig. And I did a job which was looking at the deregulation of the financial 
systems of the world. And the funny thing is, a guy said, we know that deregulation is a terrible thing and it will end up in a massive crash that will hurt a lot of people. But there is so much money to make. Meanwhile, and 25 years after I made that program, comes the crash. And I'm not prepared to wait this time, 25 years later, for you to turn around and say, God, I remember how we had this conversation and that was the tobacco moment. Right. Not interested. These are kids. It is now. Nobody should wish to or will be able to remove all risk of childhood on or offline. But that doesn't mean you don't have a damn good go at behaving respectfully. And my amendment is actually really just a respect amendment. It says, you know what? You're a kid. I'm not going to use you as the ultimate profit center. I'm going to treat you like a kid. Which means privacy. Not oversharing and not over nudging and not using your 400 behavioral psychologists to get you to get up in the night and do lots of texting and not put streaks in these incredible... This is one of the, the newest, you know, like on Snap. Mm. How many days do you do something? Well, it used to be you just did your own personal streak. That was bad enough, right? But now you can have a streak with Joanna and a streak with Fred and a streak with... And they're all, you know, they have to, like, spin the plates of their streaks. But if... Joanna or Fred lets them down, what does that make them feel about their friendship? Yeah? Or if they let them down, but they don't really want to send a streak anymore to Fred, but they don't know how to get out of the arrangement. I mean, the pressure, the the pressure is for an adult kind of like, just give up and send them a text and say you're not streaking anymore, you know? But for a child, we're talking about a developmental stage that the kids are doing this when they only care about what their peers think, where they're trying out their socialization, where popular is actually live or die, yeah? And and they're put under this ridiculous pressure. I mean, there are all sorts of things. I mean, you know, on the one hand, you have like literally the dangerous shit about GPS and privacy settings. And on the other hand, you have sort of cultural stuff like don't put kids under massive pressure to constantly overshare and overperform and get out of bed and do these things you know so it's a subtle thing it's not like one size fits all but i would argue and i think this is really important fact you know we know what good looks like you know we know when we're parenting well and we're parenting badly there's a smell test there's a smell test and actually if these companies and if the world and if governments were kind of going you know hey, we got it covered, 80%, you know, parents, kids, you're going to have to deal with the 20. I'm in there. I'm in there. I am not looking for a perfect world. But we have such an imperfect world that people like me have got to shout and we've got to use our position. And here we have something, and it says on the tin, data protection bill. I go, okay, data protection bill. That looks like a really good opportunity <laughs> to protect the data of children. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's why I'm doing this and that's why I'm angry and that's why I think, you know, as other people say, it's an elegant way of going about it because what it says is there is a bottom line, treat kids with respect, how you do it, you can invent, 
but actually whether you're putting a fridge or a family chat or a Bluetooth this or an IoT toy or a, or a GPS tracker, or whatever, you have to think about the kids' needs first. So I brought this up in several different conversations with various executives, venture capitalists, entrepreneurs, Silicon Valley, this idea that this generation is imperiled by technology. And should we be worried about things like screen time and, and this living your life online from an early age and creating this record, etc. The argument that most people fall back on is that's what every generation says, that jazz was going to ruin a generation or rock and roll was going to ruin a generation or the book was going to ruin a generation, etc. You can go back in history and there's these panics, the Luddite fallacy, as they say. Mm. You don't buy that? I don't buy that. And I don't buy, I'll tell you why I don't buy that. Because we are talking about a technology that is in real-time behavioral loops, which, on the one hand, yeah, nudge behavior against your own internal stimulus and offer stimulus to, to nudge behavior. So it's so interactive and it's so behaviorally based that actually it is treating people like rats in the lab. Right. So this isn't jazz or the novel? No, this isn't jazz or the novel. Do you know what? There are elements of the content within it that are like jazz and the novel. Yeah. And actually people move away from Facebook and they go to Snap and then they move away from Snap and they go to this and da 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 da. Absolutely. But fundamentally, what this technology is doing is treating people really like rats. I mean, it's the best thing. You know, that is the nudge technology. And it's based on a commercial idea that we will buy shit at the end of the at the end of the nudge. And so if you think about a situation where we are being sold something and our behavior is being pushed towards that, all that shit is regulated. Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So it isn't television and it isn't radio and it isn't um and I suppose I think the last thing I would say is going right back to the beginning of our conversation is about gatekeepers. It's that actually, funnily enough, jazz and radio and, and uh, album sleeves, television and so on, all had regulation knocking around them to make sure that they weren't obscene images or they weren't, you know, yeah. give you nightmares or they weren't telling untruths or whatever the things are that we collectively care about. And again, I'm not looking for a moral universe according to BBAN. I'm looking for a moral universe according to a collective idea of how we treat children. And I think that that is so intellectually lazy that rock and roll and it is really disingenuous about the nature of the technology and that is all the time we have i will be back in san francisco next week back to our kind of normal uh schedule uh we have a great show for you next week jimmy wales uh founder of wikipedia will be on the show, so that should be a lot of fun. And, of course, the usual, usual plea. Stop an Apple podcast, give us a rating and review, it always helps. And till next time, I leave you to your week. Bye-bye. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. 
That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.